It's good to be together. Uh, happy early New Year. And uh, hey, before we jump into the sermon, we wanted to give uh, you all a chance to spend some time in prayer, especially with the kiddos in here. We thought it'd be a great opportunity for families and people just to be able to pray together. And so we're going to take a couple minutes to do that. And so what that means is uh, wherever you're sitting, you can pray quietly by yourself if you'd like to, but if you're sitting there with other people, you can pray out loud in a little huddle, a little circle, uh, just however works best for you where you are to spend some time in prayer. And the focus of that prayer time, we'd encourage to be uh, praying prayers of gratitude and just realizing that this time of year, we have so much to be grateful for, especially to God for all the things that he has given us. We are especially aware of that as Christmas has just come and gone and we think of gift giving and we think of the, the gifts that God has given us, not necessarily material things, but uh, his love and his grace and his presence in our lives. And so it's a great chance to pause and to pray and to say thank you to the Lord. And so we're going to take a few minutes wherever you're at. Feel free to pray out loud with your little group. If you look next to you and someone gives you one of these, then they want to pray by themselves, and that's okay. And in a few minutes, I'll bring us back together, okay? Go for it.
Father, we, we thank you that you hear our prayers. Lord, it's an amazing thing that we all could be uh, speaking at once and yet you hear every word and every request and every uh, prayer of gratitude. So Lord, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for your presence in our lives. Thank you for salvation through the work of Jesus. And Lord, thank you that we could be here together, uh, gathered as your church. Pray that you would bless our time now as we open your word and as we uh, yeah, seek you. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us, that you'd open our hearts and our eyes and our minds. Lord, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 6. The words aren't going to be on the screen today. We just got the hard copy. So if you don't have a Bible, there should be some in the seats in front of you, right below there. But if you brought one, great. We're jumping back into our series in the Gospel of Mark that we put on pause for the season of Advent that is now come and gone. And so now we have a chance to jump back in where we left off at chapter 6. Hope that you had a great Christmas with your family and I uh, hope that this was a really special time for us. It was our first Christmas here in Benicia, our first Christmas with a little Zoe. And so it was a really special time. And being able to be here on Christmas Eve with you all last week was just really, really special. So I hope that you had a good time with your family also. Uh, today is December 31st, right? Which means that tomorrow, in just a few hours actually, it'll be 2018. The year of 2017 is coming to a close. For some, that's a happy thing. Uh, it was a rough year for many, but for many, it was a great year. And so there's mixed feelings as we come to 2018. And of course, every time of year, or every time at every year at this time of year, the last day of the year, we're thinking about New Year's resolutions probably, right? That comes into our minds as the new year is here and we're thinking about 2018 and all that it holds and all the ways we'd like to grow or be better than last year or live differently. And so I went ahead and looked online at some of the most common New Year's resolutions to see what are some of those things that many of us might be thinking of. You can probably guess a few that were towards the top. The number one thing in most of these surveys, the most common New Year's resolution was, any guesses? Yeah, to lose weight, to be healthier, fitness of some kind. That was generally the number one thing that was mentioned. Also towards the top was getting organized. Yeah, anybody in here need that? Maybe. Getting organized, uh, traveling more was towards the top. Picking up a new hobby, maybe reading more was up there. Spending less money and saving more money. I know that hits close to home right after Christmas. Maybe we're feeling a little bit of that. Uh, spending more time with friends and family <laughs> was towards the top. Uh, those were some of the big ones. And these are good things generally, right? We think about those categories and we're like, those are generally good aspirations, good things that we would want. And this sort of self-reflection of the new year and how we want to grow, that's a good process to go through, right? To think about how we want to grow. And I know what you're thinking now. Pastor man, okay, I see where you're going to go with this. You're talking about New Year's resolutions and all these different categories, and then you're going to come and say, well, what about your spiritual life and health? And shouldn't that be towards the top of assessing where your health is there, right? 
And you're exactly right. That's exactly what I'm going to do. We're going to talk about this new year and think about if there is a God and there are eternal realities at play and Jesus is real, then wouldn't it be wise to pay attention to our spiritual lives? And if at this time of year we're thinking through our health and our overall well-being in so many different areas, wouldn't it make sense to think about our walk with the Lord and our relationship with Christ and maybe what he has for us in this year to come? And so we're going to do that, and we're going to use Mark chapter 6 to kind of launch into it. It's just so interesting uh, looking at God's timing, because months ago we kind of mapped out the calendar and the sermon series and where we were going to be, and it just so happened that we were in Mark chapter 6 on this Sunday, and it's so fitting for this time of year, and you'll, you'll see what I mean. Let's jump in and read it together. I'll read it out loud for us. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Here's our passage. It says this. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples, when the Sabbath came, and he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. So as we begin chapter 6, we see this stark contrast from where we've been in chapter 5 and where we are now. If you remember the end of chapter 5, we saw these really powerful examples of faith, right? There was a bleeding woman who had a chronic illness. She went out into a crowd and reached and touched the cloak of Jesus in hopes that he would be able to heal her. And she was healed. And Jesus says it was her faith that healed her. And then we see Jairus His daughter is ill and near the point of death, and then she dies, and Jesus tells him similarly to have faith that he could do something about the situation, and Jesus comes and he heals this man's daughter and raises her from the dead miraculously. These powerful examples of faith. And now we read at the beginning of chapter 6, and we see this lack of faith. We see the exact opposite going on in verse 6 of chapter 6, says that Jesus was amazed at the people's lack of faith. Those in his hometown, those who knew him quite well, and this is the only place in the Gospel of Mark where it says Jesus was amazed. And it was not in a good way, as you see. You see, those in his hometown were struggling a bit because he's teaching with authority. He's performing these incredible miracles in the synagogue. And the people say in verse 3, wait a second, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? You know, Jesus from down the street, the kid that we saw growing up, and we know his brothers, we know his sisters, we know that family. I mean, imagine the, the neighborhood kid from your neighborhood coming back from college 
the one that you saw grow up, and he's back on the street, and he starts to create kind of a stir, and people are meeting in his garage every other night to hear him talk, and someone said they saw him walking across his swimming pool without falling in. You're like, what's going on here? You'd say, wait a second. We know little old Jimmy. I mean, that's the little Jimmy who was playing baseball out in the street and scraped his knees when he was nine years old. That's little old Jimmy that was rummaging through my fridge with my kids looking for a snack one day. Say, I, I know him. There must be something else going on. This couldn't really be real, all these things that people are saying about him. And it says that Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. Isn't this the carpenter? And he says that a prophet is without honor in his hometown. I mean, you've heard the phrase familiarity breeds contempt. Right? It's possible that we could be so familiar with someone or something that we lose a sense of respect, a sense of awe, or a sense of openness to seeing them differently. We're not really able to receive them for who they are because we have these preconceived notions from our familiarity with them about who they are or what they're about. And that's what the people of Nazareth are doing with Jesus. And so as we look at 2018, I think this is a good word for us to be careful that we don't let being familiar with Jesus prevent us from growing or seeing him do new things in our lives. Because we might do this same thing today that the people of Nazareth were doing. This Jesus, so familiar, we know the stories it's easy to write off or just kind of categorize him, put him over here and not have him really impact our lives. And there's two main ways that this really happens. And the first is for those of us that have done the church thing a long time. Okay, maybe you've grown up in church, gone to church every Sunday of your life, born in the pew, that sort of thing. Or maybe for decades of your adult life, you've been going to church every Sunday. It's just what you do. It's what your family does. And so you know the Bible, you know the stories and you say, okay, Maybe it's at this church, specifically at FBC. You say, I know the drill. I've been doing this for years. Here's how it works. We come in. We sing some songs. The pastor gets up. He opens up his Bible. He tells us to open up his Bible. He preaches. He makes a sports reference or two. He tries to get us on board, maybe with some new initiative that the church is doing. Maybe I have to give a little bit of money to it. We sing some more songs, and then I go out into my week. And then we do it all again the next week. Like, I know the drill, Pastor Jesus, I know what, okay, this is about. But we're not sure how it really affects or impacts our hearts and the rest of our lives in really meaningful ways. Sometimes it's so familiar, we lack an, an openness to what God might want to do in us and through us. See him use us in new ways that he hasn't done in years past. And so we lack faith. But this happens also if, if we're newer to church, right? Maybe you're here today and you're not a normal churchgoer. You're still not sure about this Jesus thing and what it means. It's easy to similarly be familiar with Jesus in a way that you just kind of put him in a box. Put him in a neat little category. Oh, that's just my parents' thing. That's just, oh, that's just my grandparents' thing. That's just what they do. That's for them. Or, oh, this is just a nice story we've heard of people celebrate at Christmas. It's not really real you know, I know that Jesus loves me. God's a God of love, right? But Jesus doesn't expect me to change or to live differently or to repent or to take sin seriously or anything like that. 
And so similarly, we come in with this lack of openness because, oh, it's, it's familiar. I know that story. I know what this is about. I'm just going to put that over here and then I don't really have to deal with it. Or be open to how God wants to move. And we say, like the people of Nazareth, isn't this just the carpenter? And it says that he could do no miracles there. See that in text? He could do no miracles there because of their lack of faith. And it's not that he was unable or that he was somehow impotent and couldn't all of a sudden do these powerful things. No, he was not willing to perform these miracles to those that really wanted nothing to do with him, where they were not open. Their lack of faith prevents this progress of the gospel. And so really it's a question for us today. Do we first believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that this Jesus is not just the neighborhood boy from down the street, but this Jesus is the savior of the world and the king of kings, the one that we've been singing about all month, about his birth, that he is very God of very God, God himself come down to us to live a perfect life and to die in our place for the sin of the world, that through faith in Christ, we, though sinful and justly placed under the wrath and condemnation of God, worthy of separation from him, but God in his love did not leave us there, but he sent his son, Jesus, to save us, to forgive us, to give us new life in his name. Do we believe that message about Jesus, the message of the gospel, or have we settled for something else? And similarly, this year, are we open to experiencing Jesus in a new way? Are we open to God maybe surprising us and how he wants to move in us and through us? Maybe you've been coming to church for a little while and you're still a bit hesitant, haven't quite jumped in with both feet, to following Jesus or being plugged into this church. Maybe God is inviting you to take a step of faith. Maybe to engage with him in a way that you haven't done in a while. Maybe you need to regularly spend time in the Bible. I just open up, start with the book of John, read a chapter a day and say, I'm going to spend time with God. Maybe that's something that hasn't been a part of your life for a while. Maybe you need to join a small group. I know some of us look at small groups and we're like, we've done the community thing, been there in the past. It's kind of uncomfortable. I don't know if I want to go there again. Maybe we need to be open to, maybe I need to join a small group and have some people in my life that can love me and hold me accountable and point me to Jesus. Maybe we need to start serving in a new way. I don't know what exactly this means for you, but we don't want to be like the people of Nazareth here in chapter 6 who let a familiarity with Jesus prevent them from growing and receiving him and walking with him. Let's keep reading. Chapter 6 goes on. Verse 6 continues like this. It says, Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. And these were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. 
And so they went out and preached that people should repent and they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and, and healed them. So as chapter six continues, we see that Jesus is sending his disciples out into the world for ministry. And they go, and verse 12 and 13 says that they call people to repentance and they drove out demons and they healed the sick. And we gotta remember that this has been the plan all along. If you remember back in chapter three of Mark, verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, or he says about Jesus that he's called his disciples for two reasons. It says that they might be with him and that he might send them out. And so here we see that passage being fulfilled. Now this was the trajectory all the way. And this reminds us of what walking with Christ truly means. There's two parts to it. First, we know Christ. We get to enjoy him and grow in relationship with him and walk with him and love him and serve him. And he sends us out. And he wants to use us in the world for his plans, his purposes, for his kingdom. Both pieces are part of the Christian life. Think about like maybe climbing a mountain. You know, when mountain climbers set up a base camp, they got their tents and their cots or maybe their sleeping bags on the ground, maybe some hot chocolate, some coffee going. I don't go camping much. I'm just speculating here. I think that's kind of what happens. Um, and eventually, there comes a time when they got to go continue the hike or climb the rest of the mountain, right? Again, speculation. I think that happens. And sometimes, as Christians, you track with me with this metaphor, we just want to stay at base camp, right? It's, it's comfortable at base camp. We can play cards, we can sip hot chocolate, maybe read a good book, lounge around. Say, hey, are you guys going to the top of the mountain? Eventually. But the Christian life, God not only calls us to know him, to enjoy him, to be with him, but eventually to, to send us out, to go on mission, to go where it's maybe a little bit risky, maybe a little bit dangerous. Maybe there's going to be fatigue and exhaustion out there, but he's called us and wants to use us in his world. And so this is what we see with the disciples. And he, he gives them some specific instructions, right? You notice these. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. He says, don't take any bread or a bag or money. You can wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Kind of interesting instructions. As we maybe wonder, is that like a one-to-one -one correlation for today? Like, are those the same instructions for us? And the answer is no. I mean, this is specific instructions given to his disciples for this mission. We today can own bread and bags and an extra shirt. I mean, that's, those aren't specifically for us. The specifics aren't the point, but what are the principles we think of being sent out that maybe do carry over today? We think, well, what are these principles showing us that there's a dependence on God that Jesus wants his disciples to have. That's what the bread represents, the bag. He says, I want you to trust your father as you go and not rely on your own resources, on your own strength and packing skills to get you through. He says, travel light. 
I'm going to take care of you. Just go, and I'm going to be with you. This is good news for me because I'm kind of a last-minute packer. Anybody else here relate with that? Like the night before a trip, you're packing. Maybe the day of a trip, you're throwing that suitcase together. Okay. Then there are some people that are like three weeks in advance. You have your suitcase packed. Some of those in here. Okay. You know, you got everything ready. Every member of your family gets like a printed out packing list that you hand to them to make sure it all goes. Yeah. Um, that's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with preparation. But sometimes if we use that approach to our spiritual lives, it can be a hindrance to God using us because we say, I have to be so prepared before I go out. I'm not going to take any risks. I'm not going to share my faith. I'm not going to talk about Jesus until I'm fully packed and prepared, until I know all the answers. I know every answer to give to which objections come my way. Right? I'm fully prepared. I know what to do and when to do it. And until I get to that place, until I've memorized the entire book of Leviticus, I'm not going. <laughs> not doing it. Right? Sometimes we have that posture. And again, preparation is a good thing. We should plan well. We should know Scripture. We should grow. And my hope is that as a church, we would prepare uh, our people and our community well to go out into the world and to know how to think about our faith and why we believe the things that we do. And so we're working to, to grow in that area. But hear this. You do not have to have every I dotted and every T crossed in order to be used by God. You put your faith in him and his life is in you. His presence is with you. He's calling you and he wants to use you and to send you. And so yes, prepare. Yes, continue to grow and read and study and spend time with the Lord. But don't think that I have to pack the bag so full before I'm willing to do anything or before I'm really serviceable in God's kingdom, because that's not true. God can use you now. And we notice also with this section that he prepares his disciples for rejection. Do you notice that in verse 11? It says this, it says, if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And so this is not just some, hey, go share the gospel and pray and heal people and love people in Jesus' name and everyone's going to love you back. And everyone's going to open their arms wide to you and be so glad to see you all the time. Now he says, hey, you might go and people might not want anything to do with what you have to say. They might not be interested at all. They might shut the door in your face, though you bring a message of good news, of grace, of love, of life, and forgiveness to people, they might want no part of it. So he says, be ready for that. Let's make sure our expectations are clear as you're sent out. He says, when that happens, just shake the dust off your feet and keep going. This would be a symbolic gesture to say that his, their hands or feet in this sense are, are clean of this situation, that they have done their part. They've been faithful to go and to share. They're not responsible for how people respond. And so when judgment comes, the dust of that town is not on them. And this is a very freeing truth if we think about it, that the results of ministry 
and how people respond to the gospel are not up to us. Jesus says, if a door is closed, look for another one. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say kick down the door. He doesn't say camp out in front of the house and annoy the person until they respond. No, he says, if a door is closed, okay, move right along. Find a door that's open. Interesting that that's how Jesus sends us out. It's very freeing to realize that truth, that we're not responsible for how people respond. And so again, as we look to 2018, yes, have faith and openness to how Jesus might want to move in new ways in our lives, and also, let's be a people that go and are sent out intentionally with the gospel. Those are some of the commitments we talk about here as a church, right? Worship, connect, grow, and go. It's part of who we're called to be as the people of God, to go intentionally on mission, to enter the world of those who don't know Jesus in Benicia and Vallejo and beyond, to be a blessing, to love and serve our community for their good and for God's glory. And so I want to encourage you to think about how is God sending me and my family out into the world this year? Who has he called us to love? How can we practically love our neighbors, represent Christ in our world? These might be really simple steps, like praying for your neighbors, praying for people by name, looking for practical ways, maybe to give generously to those who are in need or inviting people into your home for a meal who might be lonely. We're also going to be looking at this spring some more training in this area. In the fall, we did our first round of what we called Go Training, which was just an opportunity for a handful of people to come and think through, okay, if Jesus has called us to make disciples, I want to do that. Not sure if I know how to do that. And so we spent time talking about it and studying and preparing and praying and thinking through. And it was just the beginning of that process for us. And so if you would be interested in something similar, saying, yeah, I'd like to spend some time preparing for that, thinking about that, being equipped for that. I would love to see you this spring come to one of our Go Training classes. The dates aren't out yet, but if you're interested, on your card today, you can write Go Training on the comments, and we'll follow up with you, and we'll let you know when that's coming up. Man, can we be a people this year in 2018 that are sent intentionally by God? Great, one more piece of this passage before we close, and Warning, this is where it gets a little weird. All right, let's read. Verse 14. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. And some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he's Elijah, and still others claim he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. Verse 17, for Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And so Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. 
Okay, still with me? All right, let's keep going. Verse 21. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, and she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. And so she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. And so at once, verse 25, at once, the girl hurried into the king with a request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. And so he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter and presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. All right, Merry Christmas. What a, kind of a strange passage, don't you think? And kind of a strange passage to reflect on as we begin 2018, especially with our kids' family service. We're all in here together. What are we looking at? Something more out of a Quentin Tarantino movie than the Bible. I mean, this is crazy. Let's, let's summarize what we just read, shall we? Think about it. People are trying to figure out who Jesus is. They don't know who he is. Herod thought maybe it was somehow John the Baptist raised from the dead. And then it goes into this extended detailed account of how John the Baptist was killed. It said that Herod married his sister-in-law. Okay, And then John spoke out against that, saying, Herod, hey, you shouldn't do that. And Herod and Herodias, the woman he married, didn't like that. And so they put John in prison, even though Herodias, Herod's new wife, brother's wife also, wanted to kill him. She found an opportune time. King Herod's throwing a birthday party. And if history serves us right, it was a pretty raging, probably drunken birthday party, history tells us, okay, with all his military officers, these high-ranking officials, when his wife's daughter comes in and dances for this crowd. And she didn't just do the Macarena, okay, or the Cotton Eye Joe, or the funky chicken, or the cha-cha slide, or something like that. There's these sensual overtones to this story, to this dancing that's going on. There's lust involved, and the guests like the dance, and Herod does too. This wicked man is now lusting after his wife's daughter. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. And he says because he was pleased, he offers her anything she wants in response. He makes this oath, ask for anything, I'll give it to you up to half my kingdom. She doesn't know, and so she runs to her mom. What should I ask for? The head of John the Baptist. Of course, why didn't I think of that? He runs back in, asks for the head of John the Baptist. And Herod doesn't really want to do it. Remember, he's grieved. He doesn't really uh, want to kill John, but he made this oath. He was boasting in front of his military buddies, and so he has to keep his honor. And so he keeps the oath, and he kills John the Baptist, and the head is brought in, and the disciples pick up the body. All right, so again, drunken parties, sensual dancing, heads on platters. What do we do with this? I mean, why, why is this here and why are we talking about it? It's included here for a reason. Let's think about this. If ever there was someone 
that was on Team Jesus, it was John the Baptist. When he was there at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he was announcing the arrival of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was there calling people to repentance and faith and preparing the way for people to trust in Jesus. I mean, again, if there was ever anyone who was on Team Jesus, it was John the Baptist. And yet, here we read about his head ending up on a platter at the hands of some arrogant, drunken, lustful, sinful man in power named Herod. And so it reminds us that even those on Team Jesus, if you will, even one of the alternate captains on Team Jesus, John the Baptist, even he goes down hard. And it reminds us as disciples of Jesus that as we go out into the world, things might not go the way we think they should. Things might not work out well. Following Jesus might cost us our life. It might cost us relationships. It might make us enemies with those in power. It might be dangerous. And so again, as we look to 2018 and this new year is ahead, we need to be prepared and check our expectations. Realize that it might not go necessarily super well for us. Finances may be tight. Our health might go downhill. Scary things might happen that we're not prepared for. People might insult us for being Christians. We might fail at new endeavors or new ministries or new things that we try. So you see in this narrative that being on Team Jesus is no guarantee of physical safety or worldly success. In, fi- in fact, it might look like death. And so we see the story of John the Baptist woven in to the pages of Scripture. And it reminds us that while Jesus is on the throne and he is king and he is at work and his kingdom is advancing, it's not always necessarily going to look up and to the right. And it might look like death. And so the invitation for us then is, will we trust this Jesus? Will we follow him and believe in him even when circumstances don't go particularly well? Even when those trials and those difficulties come in 2018, will we still walk with the Lord and put our faith in him no matter the cost? So circling back to the year or the idea of New Year's resolutions, 2018, starting tomorrow, health and fitness are good things. Being organized is a good thing. Finding new hobbies and new joys in the world, those are good things. Traveling and reading and time with family, yes and amen. Let us go enjoy the good world that God has created. But also let us consider together how is God calling us to take steps of faith, to grow both as individuals and as a community? Is he calling us to be open to even in the familiar, to reassess who this Jesus is and what he wants to do through us? Do we need to respond to the call to go, to be sent out to our world 
with the good news of the gospel and the call to love our neighbors and see God's kingdom expand? Or is he reminding you today that, hey, this year might look like death. But even there, he is at work. The gospel is true. And he is with you in it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together. Thank you for the gift of another year of life. This 2017 comes to a close. God, we praise you just for how faithful you are, for your love, for your presence with us. Thank you for your word that uh, convicts us and challenges us and encourages us. Lord, we pray that you would send us out into this new year with great faith in you with great joy that we belong to you, that no matter what comes, you are with us. God, we love you and thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.